Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about journeying through cinema with my good friend. I am your host, Patrick, and my good friend is Eric. Follow us on Letterboxd. I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey. Each episode, we pick a film to watch together and secretly pick something to watch on our own inspired by that choice. Today's film is... Action USA. So, Eric, it's been uh, three episodes in a row where we get to play Guess the Arnold. Oh, I love this game. Can we just do this for the rest of our lives? <laughs> I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to keep it going. My first guess is True Lies. I haven't Incorrect. heard anything, Damn it. In- incorrect. 1993. So you were close on the year. I think that's too late for Terminator 2. That is correct. <laughs> 1993. I'll give you another hint. Is it End of Days? That was probably too early for that, too. Correct. I think End of Days is late 90s. Uh, this has a cameo by your favorite Jean-Claude Van Damme. How do I not know what this is? (laughs) It seems like it should be a giveaway. It's got another cameo by Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) What is this? It's directed by John McTiernan, who we talked about a lot. Last action hero. Yes, last action hero. (laughs) It was a blind spot. I've never seen it before. I... You know, the last time I saw this was probably was 1993, and I didn't mm. like it because I don't think I got it. Because what my understanding is now, it's kind of a critique of those uh, 80s action films. It, it, it is. It kind of is. But it's got, I think, too much else going on to really make it like a, a big classic. I enjoyed it. Uh, upper middle tier Arnold, for sure. John McTiernan is the guy you want to go to if you're going to... Um, make an action movie parody because he's made these action movies in yeah, the past. So you would say in the body of Arnold Schwarzenegger's work, it's like the top ab. Yeah. Yeah. The top ab. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's about this kid who gets sucked into an action movie. The kid's fine. He's good. Arnold is great as usual, but there's some plot weirdness where the kid uh, is obsessed with movies, but is also obsessed with like, trying to get Arnold to realize he's in a movie instead of just going along with the movie, which takes a large part of his screen time, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I only remember there was a guy with a cool glass. eye. didn't have like a smiley face with like a crosshairs on it or just yes. crosshairs or something. He was the, the big bad in the movie in the movie. And he's played by Charles dance from game of Thrones. Oh my God. I would lose my mind if I saw that today. <laughs> yes. Um, and then and the movie just goes on a little too long. You know, you have this big action climax, which works kind of well, and then it just keeps going. So, you know, I gave it three stars. Solid Arnie, but there are betters, better out there. I just saw Charles dance in something that I didn't realize he was in. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. What was it? Uh, give me one second. I Alien was, 3. <laughs> no, but that would also blow my mind. <laughs> I remember um, that he might have also been a a king or something well you know game of thrones yeah, I mean <laughs> if you're gonna get like somebody to be in a medieval movie I'm probably not gonna remember it but I was just your away. highness such a great actor yes that's exactly what it was <laughs> I'm scanning all like the things he would have been a king in okay and that probably I that was like the same time as Game of Thrones was coming out, but I don't think he had been introduced yet. Mm-hmm. So it was like, wow, I wonder if they saw your highness and were like, we need that guy <laughs> right. to be the Elder Lannister. Such an odd connection from your highness to Game of Thrones. It kind of makes sense, but kind of doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it does not at all. So, Eric, did you finally do it? Did you finally get through the saga? It wasn't fast, but I got to X. <laughs> All right. Just three hours ago, I got home or two hours, oh. ago. two hours ago. Oh, so your thoughts are fresh. My thoughts are, are fresh, but I haven't had a whole lot of time of time to think about it. So mm-hmm. I will say that I enjoyed it immensely. I think you and I might like these movies for different reasons. Okay. I like 
because I know your interest has been waning. Uh, of course, mine has yes. not. Mine has until this one, which I don't think um, I don't think I disliked it. I just wasn't a huge fan of the Jason Momoa, basically the Joker villain in this film. <laughs> I, okay, okay. But everything else I really enjoyed. I like Jason Momoa. He's my favorite part. He, I think he saved the movie by just being weird. Yeah, it was a very weird, flamboyant kind of villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, I guess in the previous movies, I kind of always knew what the villains were doing. They were clear cut, logical, right. like their plans made sense. I'm going to dominate the world by stealing this facial recognition. I'm, yes. I'm stealing, you know, nukes. Or I just have a lot of money and I'm a dick in Brazil. <laughs> right. Um, and this one, I'm just like, how... How did he know? What was he doing? How does he know what's going to happen like 50 moves ahead? It made no sense. And that kind of bothered me, which in a movie where cars can like attach themselves to cranes and throw safes across highways, maybe I shouldn't be. (laughs) Right. That's what bothers you. (laughs) But yeah, I just I hate when a villain seems to be omniscient, especially when like, you know, this guy is out to torture Dom. Because right. he is the son of the guy in Brazil, um, Hernan, whatever. Right. And he wants to torture Dom by like taking away his family, but he's got all of these connections and all of these things. And it's like, it seems like it could have been much simpler than whatever the hell he was doing. <laughs> he, yeah, it's the most convoluted plan. Um, you know, it's fun to watch. It has some set pieces that are cool. Over reliance on CGI was my other big problem, I think. Mm-hmm even though this is reportedly one of the most expensive movies ever made. I'm not shocked. There were so I, I many was shocked. Explosions. I was Why? shocked because it, it, you don't really see that much. Of course you see all the big budget action stuff, but it doesn't look great. You know, it doesn't look very practical. It doesn't look it's great, all... but there's so much stuff going on. And there are so many, these movies have like the most, amazingly bloated and beautiful casts. So yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. How much did you know, like Helen Mirren's in it for probably about two minutes. Yeah. But you know, she pulled in a couple mil. <laughs> right. And, and God knows how much Vin Diesel is commanding. And, yeah, uh, Vin Diesel. I think we Jason should talk Momoa. briefly, a uh, uh, spoiler, a uh, spoilers. Let's talk some spoilers. Cause I need okay. to get your thoughts. Uh, how much do you think they had to pay the rock to come back at the end of the, this movie? <laughs> That's such an interesting question because things have not been going well for him. I feel like in the last year or two, That's um, true. he hasn't really had a hit. Yeah. Yeah. He's had like a couple misfires, uh, mm-hmm. black Adam being, I think the biggest one, which like, yep. I don't know if he was attempting a coup at DC or like what the deal is, but I guess, the things he did in Black Adam threw off a lot of DC stuff, and it's like supposedly uh, precipitated Henry Cavill getting fired as Superman. I don't know how much of that is true, right? Uh, but I I do wonder. Like, yes, I'm sure he got a lot of money to come back after saying he would never work with Vin Diesel again. But I do wonder if some of it is just like, well, I gotta, I gotta have a hit, man. I gotta get back in there. that's true um well what do you think about the other big surprise return to the franchise gal gadot i love that no one is ever dead in these movies (laughs) it's so absurd what they're doing i want vin diesel to like i want this movie to end in the most cliched possible way possible with little kid vin diesel on the racetrack where his father dies and it was all just a dream and his father's not dead (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that would make more sense than what's happening in the movies. This is a movie written by a kid playing with his matchbox cars. I am convinced that Vin Diesel just like creeps out at playgrounds or skate parks or wherever kids play with matchbox cars and is just like, I'm going to write this down. <laughs> it's just so absurd. Um, like the, that they... I don't know. It's it's really removing any sort of pathos from from the movies that they they're trying to bring these characters back. You know, Han had uh, a nice arc after Gal Gadot's character died, and 
it didn't really mean anything because he came back to life. And now it really doesn't mean anything because she's back to life. <laughs> yeah, but think of the drama when they when they get back together. I was also thinking that maybe it's like her sister or something weird like that. And it, that would be like a soap opera thing to do, which I could see them doing, but I don't think yeah. they did. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't think so. Well, it's it's it really jumped the shark or, you know, jumped the whatever uh submarine whatever analogy you want to use for the fast and furious franchise um after number seven i stick by that i don't know they were already ridiculous and that's why it's so that's why i said earlier that i think we like these movies for different reasons because i am there purely for how ridiculous they've been yeah they pretty much have been i guess four and maybe five were like at least somewhat plausible but after that they just go off the rails and i am in (laughs) <laughs> all right well i'm i'm halfway with you i enjoyed watching it but it's not the same as the others <laughs> is there anything else you saw that you'd like to talk about before we dive into action usa yeah there is actually two quick things i want to i went to the exhume films x fest 2023 the seven 12 hour seven movie exploitation marathon um i'm not going to talk about every movie I would like to just read you the titles and you tell me which one is most interesting and I'll tell you something about it. Oh, how's that sound? That sounds beautiful. And if anybody, uh, you know, listening cares more about the movies, at least you know what they were. All right. So full contact, the spook who set by the door, gator bait, black Jesus, Hercules, the one-armed executioner and Chinatown kid. <laughs> there are so many good ones. I feel like I know what Hercules is probably about. Mm-hmm. Um, Black Jesus, I can only assume would be a biopic. <laughs> there was something about someone setting by a door. I'm interested in what that is. Yeah, it's a, it's a okay. So it's the spook who set by the door, 1973, directed by Ivan Dixon, and it is based off of a famous novel at the time where um, the CIA see it's like a comedy action satire, political satire. It's about the CIA who needs to have their first black CIA agent because of the changing times and, and uh, different rules. So they uh, get the most 100 most promising, um, african-american guys to be in the cia training program and one of them makes it through uh guy played by lawrence cook he becomes a cia agent and he kind of just hunkers down and is like the best agent possible starting at the mailroom where they put him at the beginning and like kind of slowly working his way up to like a mid-tier person in the cia and then abruptly he quits and he takes all his cia knowledge and brings it to the streets and kind of foments a rebellion against the government by the, you know, the underclass citizens that are being pushed down by the government. Um, And it's full of some very funny uh, moments and dialogue and some solid action and has something to say, especially for 1973. So very cool movie. I enjoyed that one a lot. Cool. So that was the X-Fest solid lineup. Um, But I did see one more movie I want to talk about in the theater that I think you might have seen as well. It is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I did see it. Okay. Could I get your thoughts on the first movie, Into the Spider-Verse? I loved it. Okay, cool. Because I know you're not a huge animation fan, but this is kind of... Spider-Man is like the only thing that can make me go to the theater for animation, apparently. Okay. Yeah, I was a huge fan of the first one. Uh, I thought the animation was just stunning, shows what you can do with animation. Too many times I think animation is just kind of made to be mostly realistic, and this just feels like a comic book. Agreed. And I think Spider-Man's a great character to do this with because there's so many different versions of Spider-Man in, like, culture. Um, I'm sure you know a lot more than I do because you've probably read more of the comics. But just in the movie world, there's so many different versions. So this 
it's a good character to make this type of movie with. Yeah, he's. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he was the one with the most uh, variants, mm-hmm. even in Marvel. Which, like, I think this is a great way to introduce alternate characters and to do it in a way the reason i never got into comic books is because of all of these alternate timelines but if you make a movie that's just about that kind of thing Mm -hmm. but you don't have to read everyone's story i think this is the best way to do it and spider-man's the character to do it with yeah yeah so the new movie is more the same except just amped up i loved it not quite as much as the first one because i think this one uh, I need to see where the third movie goes before I can like finalize my opinion on the second one. But I mean, just a visual feast. It really nails the character. Um, so inventive and imaginative. I loved it. Great movie. I loved the twist, uh, which I don't know if we want to get into that. Um, well, let's say we're going to spoil this movie. So yes, let's get into it. I loved that he was the variant. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that he's not supposed to be Spider-Man. Miles Morales, the Miles Morales character, was bitten mm-hmm. by a spider um, that came from a different timeline. Mm-hmm. And he, Spider-Man in his universe, should be alive. But if you remember, he died pretty early on in the first movie. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that was very cool how they um, brought it back to the first movie. I did not know that it's obvious they were planning this as a trilogy from the very beginning, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and a funny story from seeing this in the theater, refreshing, but also annoying that I had no idea there was going to be a third movie or that this was an unfinished film. And apparently neither did anyone else in the theater because so many people emoted, uh, just disbelief and annoyance. (laughs) Well, it ends on like such a great moment. It You're does. all excited, and then it's like, oh, man, now i got to wait how long? Only and a couple was, months. I don't know how long the movie was, but I didn't I, – I assumed they were going to the final, you know, the big climax. I didn't yes. realize it was over. Yeah, ag- agreed. I was in the same boat. The movie's long, two hours and 20 minutes. It's actually yeah, the longest. As a testament to how well it is and how engaging it is, I legit thought like – Oh, there's probably half an hour left. I've probably only been here for an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minutes or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. I felt the same way. It did. The only thing that kind of did not drag, but I felt like there's a little too many conversations between a parent and a child, like heartfelt sort of moments between parent and child. Um, but besides that, it was, it was really stunning. Agreed. Cannot wait for the next one. And it's only it's coming out next spring, so not that long. Yeah, not too long to wait. I just wish I'd known going in. Right. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, it'll be a really fun uh, five-hour movie, the number two and three combined into one. (laughs) It'd be great if it was a short film. They're like, yeah, we just uh, (laughs) gave you 45. Yeah, we couldn't finish it in time, so we decided to, you know, we'll put an episode on TV later. (laughs) Yeah, that's it for me, Eric. Did you see anything else you wanted to talk about? I think that's it. All right. So it's time to get into our main topic. So Action USA, 1989, directed by stuntman John Stewart, who knows his stunts, but not much else. We open on Carmen, Barry Murphy, having a sweet time with her boyfriend who just happens to be a diamond thief. When the mobsters come for the loot, the boyfriend is killed and Carmen goes on the run. She is rescued by CIA agents Osborne and Panama, Gregory Scott Cummings and William Hubbard Knight. And together, the three of them hit the road. Unfortunately, they are pursued by the mob and the killer for hire, Drago, played by Ross Hagen. Will they find the diamonds and make it to safety? What is the origin of Panama's mysterious nickname? How much food can Carmen eat? Does Drago love his mom? More importantly, Eric, do you like windmills? I love windmills, <laughs> especially by ranches. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, that's Action USA in a nutshell. Um, I liked it. I'm going to start up right off the bat. It 
has a really weird script, but really fun stunts. And it's kind of got this like magical mixture that worked for me. So I have a really funny story about watching this movie. Yes. Amazon lied to me and told me this movie came out in 2020. So I watched like the first 30 minutes of this movie thinking it was kind of like a satirical love letter or uh, like a deconstruction of those like 1980s canon films. And it kept bothering me because the character whose name I can't remember who I just will refer to as Riggs or Rambo because he was wearing the Rambo jacket, but looked like he was supposed to be Riggs from uh, Lethal Weapon. Um, I was like, that I know that actor. Why do I know him? And then I was like, oh, my God, I think that's Max Dad from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And it is. So when I looked it up on IMDb, it came out in 89 and I was so confused. I was like, is this like a self-aware homage to those movies? That's like because there are some kind of Zuckery moments when they're, uh, you know, doing some kind of like slapstick or, or satire. Yes, yes. But then other times it just seems like Tommy Wiseau made a canon film. Yeah, that's. And I don't yeah. <laughs> know what it's supposed to be, or I, what it, it was going for. And you know what? I don't care because I loved every second of it. Okay, good, good. I'm glad you loved it. And Tommy Wiseau making a canon film is exactly how I would describe it. And I really think that they thought they were making just a solid, great action movie, and somehow it got that secret sauce. You know that's. This perfect blend of insanity and horrible filmmaking that makes a beautiful piece of art. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, You know, John Stewart stunt guy and it shows in his direction really highlights some cool stunts. Uh, The beginning, we start with um, the couple, uh, Carmen and her boyfriend get uh, attacked and her boyfriend gets kidnapped and hung from a helicopter you could see changed. like the thing he was hanging from. <laughs> yes. And the, uh, the guy waving his arms, the stuntman waving his arms around was so funny because he's like, <laughs> I don't know what he was doing, but he was not waving his arms naturally at all. It was still a cool stunt, though. You got to give him props for that. Yeah. And it was like they intentionally drop him, but then they're like, wait, we have to go get him again. But the helicopter <laughs> was out of gas. Yes. Like, what the hell? <laughs> yep. And then she picks him up and then you get this really cool car chase, which honestly, I, I haven't they seen jump car. A school bus somehow they jump a in a car. Bus. They jump a school bus by jumping a tow truck or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, their pursuers smash through a trailer, like a motorhome, <laughs> instead of jumping the school bus. Yeah. I mean, those first 30 minutes, especially for me, were magical because I was like, man, they are really selling this 80s vibe. Look at all of the attention to detail, all these clothes, the cars. Yeah, this movie cost it. $50 million. It's got to. <laughs> um, but like just John Stewart was able to get the camera like so low to the ground attached to the cars. It really felt like Mad Max. That's like a mm-hmm. Mad Max vibes from the car chases because George Miller is great at that. Um, so all that stuff was like really well executed, even if the acting was very stilted and charmingly off putting. <laughs> they really enjoyed hitting women in this movie. That's true. That yes. poor actress got slapped or punched in the face no less than three, maybe four times. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, she was a trooper. I, I, I thought she was the best in character and the best actor in the movie. I disagree. I thought Drago was the best. Okay. Okay. That's true. I he forgot had about so many quotes that I did not write <laughs> down and I'm very sad that I don't remember them, but I think I just laughed so hard. I came up from watching this movie and Gina was like, I heard you laugh so hard at this. Movie. And it's true. I was just, I think I said, what the hell is happening? About 10 times. <laughs> yes. Oh man, I am so glad to hear that. I, I was in the same boat. I was laughing to myself, and Candy was on her computer nearby, and she's just looking at me like, "What? <laughs> like, 
Yeah, Drago and this bad guy having a conversation about how much they love their moms. (laughs) (laughs) So weird. There was one conversation. I forget where they were. They might have been at that gas station or whatever with the special Mm. needs attendant, which I still don't. So many Mm. random things in this movie that were just like, what is this dude? Why? Okay, that's a weird choice, but I'll go with it. Yeah. Uh, But it seemed like they were just listing things between Mm. him and the one guy. Um. They're like these three, I don't know, bounty hunter, mobster kind of guys. And two of them are like, you know, the hard boiled types, especially Mm -hmm. Drago. The third guy is like the hapless loser who's like at one point says, I wish I could be as experienced as you two. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There's like this almost like homoerotic relationship between Drago and the other guy where they just look at each other and start saying words that are supposed to connect somehow, but don't really. Yeah. When they're talking about being in prison and they really just go on a riff of just saying random things. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it happens another time too. And I'm just like, what? I don't, what is this supposed to be? (laughs) Yes. I loved it. I want to get the Christopher Nolan memento disease. This is like (laughs) my perfect afterlife is like, I die. I can only remember 15 minutes at a time. And this movie just plays on repeat for the entire afterlife. So I can forget that I've seen it before and just experience it over and over again for the first time. Uh, or maybe yes. like 50 first dates where I watch the whole thing and then immediately forget what I saw. Uh, just you know, you know, what? Alzheimer's will come for you eventually. So we'll watch it again together. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to yeah. write this down in a, a, I'll just tattoo it on myself with pen ink. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was uh, so, so much cool stuff. I, I did enjoy the, the climax as well when they finally get the girl to the, um, the place where they're supposed to hand her off to the next set of agents. And then you find out that the next set of agents are in on it. And then there's this like cool motorcycle jumps. So off the bridge, people on fire flying into the river, just great, great stuff. Great stuff. I still do. What was the reason for Panama's name? Does he ever explain it? He does. And that was probably the funniest part of the movie for me. It's when he's in the hospital. Oh, isn't it like his dad want, was born in Queens and wanted him to get as far away from Queens or something as they, possible? They never left Newark. That was what he said. Newark. My parents never left Newark. And Panama was the furthest place they could think of. So they called me Panama. So I would someday get away from here. Like, and, I don't know, China. Right. Oh, but it's it's played so earnestly because, you know, the guy might be dying. So his partner and best friend is like, you never told me how you got your name. And then they have that <laughs> this heartfelt scene. Oh, man. Um, 10 out of 10 stars. 10 really? out of 5 stars. <laughs> All right, well, th- this was a lost movie, believe it or not. It was made. I don't know if it ever got released, but it kind of was lost for a while until someone found a, a print. And then it was put out by... I forget who it was either Vinegar Syndrome or Alamo Draft House put out the re-release. Well, thank God for those heroes. Yes. <laughs> yep. Great film. Uh, highly recommended. It goes up there for me personally with The Room and Miami Connection. Kind of the third in that trilogy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what did it inspire you to watch? Oh, okay. So I went through John Stewart's filmography as a stunt man and tried to pick something that I could see him do some more stunts. Cause I thought the stunts were really well. So he was stunt coordinator. One of two stunt coordinators on a movie called Savage Dawn in 1985 directed by Simon Nocturne. And I won't tell you what it's about yet, but this cast is great. Lance Henriksen, George Kennedy, Karen Black, William Forsyth, uh, a cameo, by um oh what's his name sam kinnison (laughs) it's uh it's just a really weird movie about a town that gets taken over by a biker gang and the small group of people who fight back lance henrickson is a such an 80s plot line it is this is definitely mad max inspired as well it for the first 
30 or 40 minutes. And even now, if you ask me if this is a post-apocalyptic movie, I would be like, you know what? I'm not sure. It's either post-apocalyptic or it's some town in the middle of Texas. I couldn't tell because it's got these like colorful characters and it's like a lawless area um, where this biker gang is allowed to, you know, run rampant. Lance Henriksen is the hero who rides his motorcycle into town to visit an old friend played by George Kennedy and kind of settle down because apparently they, you know, rode roughshod over the lands together doing deeds and now they're time to retire. And this biker gang comes into town and Lance doesn't want to deal with them until they take it over. And then they all have to fight back. Um, somehow the biker gang gets hold cold to some tanks and then they have to like do these uh, missions where they blow up the tanks and they're riding motorcycles into people. And uh, Lance Henriksen probably has like four or five fight scenes where it's him versus five people and he beats them all up. Um, I think that could really happen. Yeah. It's, it's a fun movie. It's got weird pacing and kind of like a weird, I don't know, plot structure, but it does showcase Lance Henriksen as like a guy who is engaging to watch all the time. He's so like quiet and commanding and he's very physical in his performance. He'll, you know, just the way he carries himself. And then the, the uh, amount of energy he puts into like moving and doing the, the fight scenes. He's not like, you know, uh, phoning it in at all, like Steven Seagal or something. He's like, (laughs) he's really moving and really filling the screen with like vibrancy. So he was cool. Movie I mean, itself. in fairness to Steven Seagal, he does fill the screen. <laughs> yes, that is uh, well said. Especially these days. So uh, I did very much enjoy Savage Dawn in sort of a campy way. Um, it's a fun movie. Not great, but if you like this sort of thing, you should check it out. Awesome. So I'd love to hear what you have picked. So I don't know if you realized this. I didn't realize it until I was trying to pick another movie. But this is probably our last episode before Independence Day, the 4th of July. So I decided to stick with the USA theme. And instead of Action USA, I watched the Chuck Norris classic Invasion (laughs) USA. Oh, nice. I didn't even think of that. Have you ever seen this film? No, I haven't. I loved it so much that I bought the DVD halfway through. Oh, that's great. So I can enjoy it forever. <laughs> this movie, um, let me see. Who's even the director? Does it matter? I don't think it does. Jo- Joseph Zito. There's, I know it's a Joseph canon Zito. film. So that makes a lot of sense. Yep. Uh, it was written apparently by Chuck Norris and his <laughs> brother Aaron. Um, had heavy input into the script. And I think what we need to do to save Hollywood is to just buy a mountain of cocaine, give it to Chuck and Aaron Norris and have them write everything that we release for the next five to 10 years. Wow. Or until their hearts explode from cocaine. (laughs) Wow. I I am because this film is amazing. It opens up with a boat of Cuban refugees. Um, It looks like they're stranded. They're trying to go to Florida. What I gather from this kid talking to his dad Mm -hmm. Uh, and this, it's not clear to me, uh, according to Wikipedia, it was a Coast Guard boat, but it could have been a Navy boat shows up. And there's this guy who is in a bunch of 80s movies. Um, what's his name? Let me look. Richard Lynch. Uh, very distinctive face, because apparently I was sad to learn that he like got high on drugs and lit himself on fire in the 70s. Um, oh, Wow. The only thing I can think of off the top of my head was The Barbarians, which is another canon film from the 80s where he's like this evil wizard, I think, or something like that. I Uh, did see that with you. He is that movie ruled. Uh, I wish I hadn't seen it already so I could watch it again. (laughs) So he's like the captain of the Navy and he says to this ship full of people who are clearly just like floating in the middle of the ocean about to die. Welcome to America. And then they open fire and kill everyone on the ship. They get cocaine out of the bottom of the ship. They like have a prisoner who leads them to this uh, package of cocaine. And then it cuts to Chuck Norris on the coolest method of conveyance, I think, in the history of man. Ooh. An airboat. 
It's one of those boats with <laughs> an N on the back that was like, I feel like that was a thing in the 80s that we need to bring back. Okay. I, I remember them from this uh, Police Academy 5. I feel like there were a bunch of other movies in like the late 80s or early 90s. Like, uh, oh, one of the characters on G.I. Joe, Darth D'Artagnan. That's a Three Musketeer. <laughs> yeah, um, very different. Yeah, they had like those people in the bayou uh, in G.I. Joe, like had had these airboats. We need to bring those back. Um, so he's just like in Florida enjoying his fan boat. Um, he wrestles an alligator into a cage with an old man friend. Um, as you do. Cut, yeah, as you do. Uh, I guess his old man friend is like secretly selling alligators and Chuck Norris is worried that the social security department is going to find out what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Um, That's like a brief plot line before his old man friend gets shot by the John Lynch character. Um, There's so much random stuff in this movie that doesn't make sense that I had to look up in Wikipedia to be like, what is going on here? Why are they doing this? Because it's a canon film written by cocaine, I think should have gotten a, a <laughs> writing credit. Um, so one of my favorite scenes is the captain, John Lynch, whose name is Rostov, by the way, these people are all supposed to be Russian, but no one even makes the barest attempt at a Russian accent, but they all have names like Mikhail and Rostov and Nikolaj or whatever. Right. right. Um, he goes into this seedy building. There are all these scantily clad women. I assume they're supposed to be prostitutes. Uh, He has the bag of cocaine from the boat and he gives it to a pimp or a drug dealer or something. His right hand woman is there like Mm -hmm. and she starts to do the cocaine. Um, But Rostov like slams her face into the desk and her cocaine tube straw. It's like a metal tube goes right up her nose. And then he, he like sticks the gun in the guy's pants and shoots him twice, like right in the penis. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever deal they were supposed to be completing. He just kills these people for no apparent reason. And it's amazing. Um, That is not the only time he shoots someone in the penis in this movie. So if you, if you are into that, uh, he does it at least twice that I saw. Oh my God. Uh, And, at some point, um, Chuck Norris is approached by these government agents who are like, you have to come back. And he's like, no, you should have let me kill Rostov when I had the chance. And it cuts oh. immediately to a flashback of him, like taking Rostov hostage. So mm. who knows what happened there. Um, but then the flashback cuts to Rostov who is having a dream about the flashback <laughs> and he's like we have to kill Chuck Norris whose name at some point is uh, revealed to be Hunter just like randomly in the movie somebody finally calls him his name but I'm pretty sure it's like 45 minutes into the movie before anybody uses his name Yeah. so they go and blow up his house and kill his old man friend uh, he has a pet armadillo that we only see in two scenes which is like when the uh, he's being recruited by the government. And then again, you know, when it escapes the explosion, (laughs) Um, this is one of my other little favorite parts is he's just looking at like the burned out husk of his house and he drags his friend's corpse inside and then drops a gas lantern and just leaves. (laughs) He just like lights his house on fire with his friend's corpse inside it. It's efficiency. Yeah. So they think they've killed Chuck Norris, but how silly they are. Uh, The next scene is at a beach because it was the 80s. People are trying to have sex on this beach. Of course. Um, Bikinis and everything. But then all of these like Saving Private Ryan D-Day style troop carriers land on the beach with a couple, I would say generously, like 100 people. They get into these like uh, 20 to 40 vans as the police who are investigating this say and leave to go do terrorism across the country because they're trying to bring down America because it was the eighties. This of movie course. is so eighties. It is like Chuck Norris. I, I saw like a little interview with him where he's talking about writing this movie and how he read a newspaper story about how people could just come in and do terrorism and how scary it was that our freedoms really make us a slave uh, and vulnerable to this thing. It's like this crazy, thing that i could see written right now 
because yeah. of how xenophobic the movie is. And all of these people are going to come in and they're going to be terrorists and yep. blow yep. everything up. But that's kind of what they do in this movie. The whole plan is to have these like 20 to 40 trucks are going to like every city across the country and just like doing, they show them doing little dumb things. They only show the things they do in Miami. Mm -hmm. um, but uh fun side note, this is a Christmas film oh, because okay. Rostov goes to this like little suburban neighborhood. Everybody's decorating for Christmas and he just whips out a rocket launcher and starts blowing up houses <laughs> um there's another scene where these they're dressed as cops and they go into a like this street i'm 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 not sure if they weren't able to get the rights to film inside a bar or something or if they were just like i don't know we'll have a block party but they go up into this like spanish speaking part of miami and start shooting up this party mm -hmm. leave but then the real cops come and they're like you know they're basically fomenting um anarchy yeah yeah and they, and they make all of these statements like every incident breeds 10 more like it they hit 20 places in miami alone tonight but i'm like they only had 20 trucks <laughs> yeah and they not, spread out all across the country <laughs> yeah they spread out all across the country they had 20 to 40 trucks there were like maybe 100 dudes mm -hmm. uh there's a, an amazing chuck norris reveals that he's still around by invading a shopping mall where they're trying to like blow up the shopping mall. Chuck Norris just appears places in this movie and it's fucking phenomenal. Because it's like, <laughs> how do we know there was a guy like leaving a package that was going to be a bomb and somebody else in the mall is already trying to take care of it, but he and just shows up. There's like a giant truck fight scene. Uh, I can talk about this movie all day. I, I heard about the mall that that's my vision of this movie is a mall being taken over by Russians and Chuck Norris coming in and killing them all. That's, what I pictured this movie as. Yeah. There are so many things that like don't make sense, but are so much fun. Mm -hmm. There's a scene where one of the terrorists is like going into this bar and they run over some guys like washing his car outside the bar and they run over the bucket and the guy gets really pissed off. Um, one of the, the guys who gets out of the car, like the terrorists picks up a prostitute and they go up to the room and then it cuts to a shot of like a black leather glove taking a knife out. And you're like, well, that was a weird cut. Mm -hmm. And it's like a minute or two later, it's Chuck Norris was waiting in the room, I guess, and stabbed <laughs> the guy in the hand. But like the prostitute wasn't in on it. How mm -hmm. did he know this guy was going to stop at this bar to get a prostitute? <laughs> like none of this is established. It makes no sense. The guy who was pissed about his car comes in and wants to fight Chuck Norris. <laughs> but it's like why what this uh, uh he has a spidey sense yeah it's just <laughs> phenomenal it is such a horribly made entertaining film mm. um so many good quotes here's one i think i said a couple already uh i'm gonna give you so many rights you're gonna beg for a left was one of my favorites which happened <laughs> in that scene um <laughs> That's a good line, actually. I like there are that. parts where Chuck Norris, I think, literally does teleport. They're like mm -hmm. going to blow up a church. And uh, I mean, the guys are watching this building. They literally walk over with a suitcase tied to a giant wire and they start hitting the button to blow it up and it doesn't blow up. But then Chuck Norris is on the building above them and says, didn't work, huh? Mm -hmm. Now it will. And he drops it and connects the wires and it blows up. And I'm like, <laughs> how did he get there? <laughs> Magic. yeah they, they they did not care when uh the they did not care this one there's another scene where the, he's in the middle of a firefight um and he's behind a truck and the guy is like shooting at the truck actively but then he's just next to the guy and shoots him in the head and i'm like what <laughs> yeah i loved it not as much as action usa because i i could tell this was trying to be a real movie and was just shitty right. but it was so much fun Okay. Yeah. I actually own this. It turns out I have, uh, some Canon film Blu-rays that I haven't gotten to. So I'll, I'll move this to the top of the pile for uh, July 4th. Maybe. Yeah. It, it's a very patriotic film. Although there was like this interesting bit where in the eighties, this is another quote I wrote down because it was like, 
a, a take on the United States foreign policy that wasn't popular at all in the 80s, or at least like, I mean, I was like nine years old, so mm-hmm. who knows? Um, but it wasn't a sentiment that I'd heard expressed very often until I was like in college. Uh, and let me find it. One of the terrorists is talking to the other one and he says um, they've meaning the U.S. They've been blowing up the rest of the world for years. I'm surprised it took this long for us to get over here, which is like Mm. kind of what we were doing in the 70s and 80s by toppling all of these governments uh, in South America, installing favorable dictatorships in a lot of cases. Um, It's kind of what we've been doing in the Middle East for for decades. So it was just a very odd in this like clearly very xenophobic fear mongery kind of movie that was based on Chuck Norris uh doing drugs and reading the newspaper and being like wow they could just blow up all of our cities right the ultra right wing chuck norris yeah, vision yeah, because of the world. we're like and then we're we we have too much freedoms in this country and migrants can just come and blow us all up <laughs> right uh well he hasn't changed <laughs> uh i loved it all right. Well, cool. Maybe I'll, I'll uh, watch it on July 4th and let you know what I think. It really made me want to watch more Canon films, and I still haven't seen the documentary about Canon. I watched a documentary and a lot of Canon films. The documentary I think is, is fine. I don't think it, it, I don't think it gets very deep or d- talks about anything interesting, but it does, you know, show you some cool clips from the movies. Yeah. I loved Canon films when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, they're your like type I, of movies. Yeah, they they definitely are. I think they formed almost my entire worldview, which I think explains <laughs> a lot about uh, the things you've heard on this podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, it's just been so long and you forget mm-hmm. how absolutely insane they are. Right, right. You know, and I was looking through the list of canon films because I decided uh, Action USA that I thought was like, you know, a brethren kind of to that style of filmmaking yeah um i was like i have to watch a canon film and did i see missing in action i don't know there were so many that i know i probably have seen that i didn't want to watch for this podcast and i knew i hadn't seen this one yeah yeah missing in action one and two did you hear the story about those no the story was that they had the filmed missing in action and then they um, decided to make like a more action oriented movie. Um, and they released that as mission missing in action. And then they released the first one as, as missing in action too. So <laughs> you watch the, they were filmed in reverse order. The first one's supposedly more exciting and better quote unquote for a Canon film. So it was a hit. And then they released the second one, to ride the coattails of the first one, even though they're filmed in the opposite order. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite movies of all time was um, a Canon film. They had a bunch of ninja movies. Yes. And revenge of the ninja. I remember just watching that on repeat. I still remember like the first scene, the thing that got me when I was a child and should not have been watching this movie, but definitely did. (laughs) It was like, there's this little kid on a bridge in the beginning and just taking a Chinese star right to the center of the forehead. <laughs> and that, that, that's it. That turned you. That, it turned I, uh, I am in. <laughs> I think, I think Shokasugi, like everybody knows Chuck Norris was in a bunch of Canon films, but Shokasugi was in a bunch of them as well. Yeah. Was... They needed a ninja. And if it wasn't going to be Michael Dudikoff an American ninja, it was going to be Shokasugi. Yes. Yeah. I got to catch up on those movies. They're supposedly, uh, some fun ones in there. Ninja three domination is, is notoriously entertaining. I've heard American Ninja three or just Ninja three Ninja three. Hmm. That's the one where um, some American girl gets inhabited by a ninja spirit. That sounds phenomenal. Yes. (laughs) All right, Eric. Well, I think we, uh, we talked enough about, action movies in the USA. I don't think so. <laughs> well, well, we will always talk about action movies in the USA. That's one thing we have in common that we enjoy. Um, but I'm going to go through your watch list and pick something for next episode 
please do. I took oh, a look. I realized there was a problem uh, last time I was talking about we're going to do Rambo 2. Well, I've already seen it, so I can't make that my pick. Oh, okay, okay. I've seen well, it so we can many wa- times. We can it's watch fun. that. We can do a watch party of that separately, and we can always talk about it on the podcast. Okay. So we'll plan that. <laughs> but in the meantime, let me look at your list here. And I took a look, and I picked something that I wanted to see. Not on my watch list, but um, I'm a big fan of the filmmakers. The Death of Dick Long by the Daniels. Their first feature film, 2019. I don't I will... know who the Daniels are. I don't know what the Death of Dick Long is. And I'm assuming <laughs> I put it on there just for the title. <laughs> it is not a porn movie. <laughs> it, the oh. Daniels were, were um, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, I still haven't seen that. Oh, okay. So did you see Swiss Army Man? I did see Swiss Army Man. We talked about that on this podcast. Oh, yes. Okay. So, um, Who knew flatulence could get you so far? <laughs> right. Dick died last night, and Zeke and Earl don't want anybody finding out how. That's too bad, though, because news travels fast in small town Alabama. All right. I'm yeah. in. Yeah. It's on Showtime. It's on Canopy. I like how you keep finding movies that are on my watch list that I have no idea (laughs) what you're talking about. (laughs) Right. You just randomly accidentally clicked on it somewhere. (laughs) Roy Wood Jr. is in it, so I like him. He's on The Daily Show. There's a person named Randy Tumbleweed Smith, so how could he be bad? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know a single other person in it. Well, that's good. Some fun indie movies. Hopefully a fun indie movie by the duo that will eventually win all the Oscars. <laughs> we can we can hope. Such Sights to See, along with my other projects, can be found on ProLeary.com. On Letterboxd, I'm Long Monkey, and Eric is Normal Monkey, because I'm longer. Thanks for listening, and as always, have a good night and sweet dreams. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.